What's up, everybody? Welcome to Mike Dawes Has a Podcast. My name is Mike Dawes, and I do, in fact, have a podcast. Joining me on this journey are the good people at Tonewood Amp. The Tonewood Amp is the amazing guitar gadget that sticks to the back surface of your acoustic guitar and vibrates, reverbs, delays, and other loveliness through the sound hole as if by magic. Because why should electric guitar players have all the fun? To find out more about the Tonewood Amp and to get a very special discount, head to MikeDawesHasAPodcast.com and try one out for yourself. This show is all about guitar, guitarists, and the music industry in general. I'm really excited to catch up with some friends who I've met on the road over the years, and I'm honored to share some conversations with some really exciting guests I'll be meeting for the first time. Be sure to follow all the guests on their socials, as well as Tonewood App and myself, by typing things into the internet. And do remember to leave a review of the podcast so we continue making more. Thanks very much, guys. Let's dive right into I it. I smashed my hand already, dude. I've got so much stuff <laughs> in the studio right now. Mark Holcomb, everybody, is in the house. The nicest man in rock and roll. Uh, even, even really? Yeah, I mean, they say that about Dave Grohl, don't they? But uh, I've never met Dave Grohl, so... <laughs> yeah, I, I never have. But I, I imagine he probably has a really, 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 really dark side. Um, yeah. You, oh, you're, you're, you're the same, dude. It's like... When I met you, I was like, this guy's real. I met you, what, 2013 or something like that? 2014? I was just trying to think before this, when did we actually meet? And I came to the conclusion that it was in Montreal. Montreal, right. Which would have been 2013. Yeah. On, yeah. Uh, it was before we put out Juggernaut. It was before that album. Um, Damn, we, time flies. We met you. Man. Yeah, man. Um, I was like, this guy's really nice. Uh, and then. I think we hung out a couple more times and then I started to become exposed to your very dark, morbid, um, <laughs> you know, you've got some really fucked up jokes and I, I, I like that. I, I like when there's like this second really fucked up layer to somebody, you know, dude, I remember you, you I did realize one day that you were the king of puns. In fact, to yeah. the point where, um, I was on a tour with T-Rope who was formerly your guitar tech yeah. with Periphery and then, uh, my boss kind of stole him for uh, the, the Moody Blues Justin Hayward shows. And we were backstage, and I remember it was a venue called The Egg in Albany. Have you ever played there, The Egg? Sounds familiar, no. It's, it's, it's this weird, like, government CIA shit, but it, it, there's some weird thing to do with government agencies or whatever. But anyway, yeah, we were yeah. thinking of, I had to think of stage puns for The Egg, and it was like, text Mark right now. And you came back <laughs> in, like, five minutes with about 50 egg puns. It was fantastic. Um, Did I yeah. really? I don't yeah. remember that. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, I didn't mean... Yeah, I'll let you finish, please. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I see that some people call puns dad jokes like i because I, I do puns sometimes on social media and people are like oh nice dad joke i'm like that's not a fucking dad joke like yeah. it's a pun like puns are respectable and worthy of recognition and not to be belittled and not to be labeled dad jokes like i'm not a dad and they're not lame so please go. convince my 23 year old girlfriend of that so she stops giving me condescending looks all the time does she call them dad jokes I don't know, man. I mean, to a 23-year-old, anyone over the age of 25 is a dad, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. How have you been doing, man? Like, how's, how's the whole, how's pandemic life for Hulky, Hulky mania? Oh, I, I, um, yeah, I, I can't complain, really, like, in the, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I, I'm, I, I've been all right, man. Like, it's been, uh, it's been weird not to tour. Like, we're coming up on, uh, we're coming up on a like a year and change with no periphery shows, which is the longest we've ever gone as a band without playing live. Um, and it's weird because there's no, you know, obviously no shows on the horizon, um, no band business on the horizon, short of all of us just writing in our own separate 
um, caves, you know, across the, across the country. Um, but, uh, we're riding on our own, but like, besides that, we don't have plans to get into the studio imminently. Um, so it's just been, it's just been me, me and Bonnie here in the house. Like I've been working, I've been writing, um, kind of like we were talking about before we began the podcast. I've been, uh, I've also been working on my recording chops at home. Uh, yeah. Familiarizing we, were talk- we, we, we were talking about how both of us are not particularly literate with, with like, uh, basic yep. music production technology right. I mean, a- until 2020 i was doing my demos on imovie <laughs> like, oh legitimately. man yeah i know Just about that yeah s- solo guitar record like there we go jobs are good and right but yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's it's i i get that man it's interesting to speak to so many different people about what they're doing with their bands and their projects in this time because some people are kind of i don't know constantly preparing for to jump back out as soon as possible and other people are like you know what i don't want to be part of that first wave back you yeah. know when it comes to touring because it's just going to be absolute carnage yeah. like a- absolute chaos and and i was um another band in your like metal realm because obviously this podcast i'm an acoustic guitar player there are some listeners who are acoustic guitar players and some who are just guitar players in general or just general people some might not know too many metal bands right but um i was a big fan of the band nightwish growing up uh this like finnish symphonic metal kind of thing and their bassist just left citing a lot of uh you know industry reasons and 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 how how the streaming is kind of all kind of bullshit and and even with the live tour promotions as uh people people feeling like musicians are getting shafted a little bit and i think a lot of bands are really starting to think well I don't really want to be one of those first bands rushing back out there, getting the uh, the deals that perhaps aren't really super favorable because of just the amount of competition out there right at the start. And right. it's interesting to hear from you guys because I know you're you're not. Um, it's not too unfamiliar taking a break from touring. I think a few years ago you guys just didn't tour for a whole year out of choice anyway, right? Yep. Yep. Right before Periphery Four, we took uh, we took a large chunk of time off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's 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 interesting to hear what you guys are doing because you're all so prolific in what you do as individuals. Is that part of the reason you think you're not jumping to get back out there? Uh, it's for a couple of reasons, and you touched on one of them at first. It's um, you know, we're not dying to be part of that first wave, like you said. It's going to be oversaturated. There's going to be less. You know, sorry to bring it immediately to money, but it's it's something that we all have to think about. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's pretty. It's <laughs> it's like touring musicians have gone a year with nothing and let's face it, no government support in most countries as well. So yeah, yep. it's, it's not yep. uh, taboo to, to say that <laughs> from right, my point of view. Right. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, for us too, and we've always been very transparent about that with our fans and, and people who follow our band. So we're not trying to be part of that first wave for that reason. And it's just, we've proven historically that we can be that band. Like we've always looked at bands, you know, looked up to, uh, like like a like a like a dream theater or like a Meshuggah or someone like that like a or like a Devon, um, somebody who can take this large chunk of time off of tour and then come back and still pack out rooms and still have the same faces from last time there you know um, totally and we haven't always known we were that band I think there was a phase sort of in our certainly maybe the 2012 2014 era like that patch where we were testing out that theory you know like we were touring a lot we were touring maybe six to eight months out of the year maybe nine months out of the year some years um and we started to have these discussions in the bands like do we have to be doing this and we would always get hit was hit with the second voice or or maybe this discord among us in, in the band that was like 
no, nah, man, we got to keep, we got to keep touring because touring is how you bring home money in this, in this field. So we had to do it. And we never questioned it that much. Um, but then we started to take longer periods of time away from tour. We'd come back and then there'd be more people at the shows and, and, and that we wanted to turn into, yeah, us being able to take breaks whenever we wanted us being able to work on our own individual things. But I think more importantly in the grand scheme of periphery to keep us coming back to it with more enthusiasm and more zeal, you know? Um, right. So only going out when you want to and not feeling like you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it takes a toll on life, man. Um, and here was the sort of latent um, unspoken benefit, which nobody could have predicted is when there's a fucking pandemic <laughs> and, <laughs> and you can't tour like nobody can tour you're mentally equipped. Um, you know, I, 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 I would, I would say we're financially equipped. You know, we have the means to stay afloat when we're not touring, uh, uh, realistically. And, you know, we can, we can write, we can record, we can be our, we can be ourselves, you know, prolific and, and, and busy. We can stay occupied and not have to worry about when we're going to go on tour next. So, uh, so trust me, like we're all missing it. We all want to go back out, but we're not trying to, you know, be jumping out before, uh, before the race begins, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And it's, it's certainly got me thinking a lot, man, as well, because it's, it's got to a point now being off tour for so long. I almost, I don't want to say, I can't remember what it feels like to be on tour. Of course, it's been like my whole life, my whole professional life. I've been on the road yeah. like 11 months of the year. I mean, you know, man, I mean, we've you love tour. I, I, dude, you, you are the person I think in my life who loves tour the most. you like, you, you, whenever I text you or talk <laughs> to you on tour, you always sound so full of life and full of joy. You're always doing shit. Dude. I think the last time I spoke to you pre pandemic, I was just like, Oh yeah, let me just excuse myself from a meal with the guys. I'll just step outside. And I was on this like, cliff face in like Alaska <laughs> or some like totally Viking kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, there was a period with you guys, all, all of you guys in periphery where I would meet up with you on like different continents, different like countries. Like, I don't think we ever met in the same place. You're right. I do love touring, but honestly, a, a big part of that is because I went straight into it immediately after education. So I didn't really have a life. Uh, I mean, I had, you, you know what I mean? I didn't have that foundation of stuff to miss. I was at that age when everything just disappears and everyone goes their separate ways anyway. So now right. this year has been almost the opposite of what you're talking about because it's like, okay, I'm home. Let's, let's, let's see who's in town. Oh, no one because <laughs> I haven't built, <laughs> haven't built those relationships, you know, so there's like, so it's, it's a very difficult thing, but it has got me thinking, man. And what you're talking about, about not rushing out there. I've, I, I'm, I'm on this, this weird kind of seesaw situation where it's like, I can't wait to get back on tour. I want to go as soon as possible. But at the same time, being forced to kind of make a home life hasn't been a bad thing, really. Um, in fact, yeah. right now, I'm pretty much blind looking at you because I just got back from like the laser eye like surgery place uh, for like a consultation to try and have my glasses removed. I, I don't know if you can see, but I broke my glasses and taped them up. So I look like Rick Moranis <laughs> right now <laughs> in some movie. But, you know, they put these drops in my eyes and my pupils like dilated and you're just like a little bit blurry right now. I hope it is actually you I'm talking to. But yeah, the real life stuff like that, you know, it's nice to have the time to do it. But um, but man, yeah. uh, amongst your your many recreational activities, um, I said that all you guys in the band are always very busy doing 
stuff. Um, something I didn't realize you did until relatively recently, actually, was you're a video game voiceover artist, right? Erotic, erotic Ever- video er- games. <laughs> yeah, it's an emergent, it's an emergent uh, feel or <laughs> type of uh, media. Yeah, I'm sure um, it's booming in the pandemic as well. That's one industry, man. You want to be in the game industry. I mean, music and movies. Forget about it. Erotic video game voiceovers. Erotic. Yeah, it's like combining all of our vices in one. Um, no, but uh, yeah. So yeah, um, I, I got into it a couple years ago, and it's random because I never like to think of myself as anybody like, like, cause I, I would probably be a shitty actor, frankly. Um, I don't but, know, man. I've seen, I've seen you guys in periphery put out the occasional skit and witty, witty sketch online. Yeah. Years. Halpern, Halpern, uh, Matt Halpern has acting chops. Uh, I'll give, and, and Misha, cause he's got a good expressive face about him. It's for those um, thumbnails. <laughs> <laughs> the old MySpace profile pictures, you know, he's got the angles down. Oh yeah. Like that. Um, pop, pop the heel. <laughs> pop the heel. Um, so, the, it, like, okay, 2015, I think it was, we toured with the band Sixth from England. Amazing band. Amazing Amazing yes. band. Sixth band are great. I, a band I used to listen to. I think I saw them at the Wedge of Rooms in Portsmouth. Shout out to people of Portsmouth. Portsmouth. Nah, it's not that great. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we toured with Sixth. And, you know, they're one of those classic legendary bands for, for us. Although they're a little unheralded in my opinion. Like when I talk to people about where the beginning of this style of music came from, sick, don't ever get enough credit. Totally. Um, I agree. I saw them in the tent at Download Festival back in, it must've been like 2006 or seven or something like that when I was like a teenager and they would, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're well regarded in the underground in the UK for sure. I mean, they'd be like headlining or second to headlining in those smaller tents at the festivals where all the yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of... Uh, you know, but uh, I totally, agree. I totally agree with you. Um, amazing band, and uh, yeah, th- their most recent record as well that they put out, um, freaking fantastic as killer. well. Killer, so killer. Um, anyways, Mikey, Mikey's been in the uh, in in the voice acting game for a long time, um, and you know he's got that cool sort of like baritone, gravelly, um, that narrative voice. You know, have you heard him do it on the records? Right. So yeah. So sixth uh, for anyone who doesn't know the band, crazy prog metal band, but they have two singers, and right. one of them kind of does the thing and the other one makes you scared to sleep with the light off. Go and listen to it. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. If you're watching this or listening to it, hit pause real quick and go on Spotify or Apple music, whatever, and just find a sixth track. That's short. It's probably, you know, a minute and a half, two long, two minute long thing of just him reading his own poetry and his voice. It's unlike anything else. It sounds like he's got some kind of like processor on it. There's nothing on it. That's how he talks. And it's close. It's like this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, I've always known he had this cool, like otherworldly voice, um, the speaking voice that he could do. And on tour, I think it was on tour. He asked me like sort of week four, week five of the tour. He asked me, he was like, Hey man, you ever do voice acting? I'm like, no, fuck no. And he was like, well, you have a really naturally low bassy sort of smooth voice. Um, would you ever be into it? And I was like, sure, I guess. I mean, I'll give it a try. I don't know what I'd be doing, but you know, fine. Um, and then he hit me up a couple months later with, um, this audition offer for this game at the time was called No Truce for the Furies and it got renamed to Disco Elysium uh, later that year. And um, he invited me out to London uh, a couple of years ago and uh, and I recorded 
voices for two of my characters in the game. Uh, and then it came out in 2019 for, uh, for PC. Uh, nice one. Yeah. So I got the gig that way. Um, and I've since started working with this other Japanese studio, um, in, uh, in Kyoto, the studio called Shuhai Labs. And I'm also uh, w- working on, uh, on the re-release for Disco Elysium that's coming out for a PS5 and Xbox and Switch and all that next year. So, oh man, so yeah, I'll be able to pick it up. I'll be able to pick well, it up. And, and, and will I recognize you? Is it your, are you using your, your normal voice or are you, are you, um, you know, there's, it, there's, there's one character where I do I do like a sort of a, like a New York voice, like a little bit, like very slight, <laughs> very slight. Uh, and then there's a Hispanic character that I do. Oh, uh, right on. Called Manana. He's like a scab worker. He talks to the union workers who are on strike, and he's constantly <laughs> berating them, like that that kind of voice. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing, man. That's amazing. There's a third character which I audition for, but I can't talk about yet. So, uh, so yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm, you know. I'm not trying to be the freaking Robert De Niro of voice acting, voice acting in video games, but be the, be the Daniel Day Lewis. I'll be the Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll method act. I'll dress as Sonic the Hedgehog for a month. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Yeah, I'll have to. I, I, I want to check it out. Absolutely. Um, and I'm I'm not a PC guy. I I I'm you know a console idiot you know uh with the switch and the ps4 so me too i'll, I'll me check too. it out we got to come back to that actually but speaking of spain i remember that trip man i remember hanging oh. hang with you in spain what a fun time you were there for i mean those were seriously the best couple days of my life man that was 2015 mike uh you came out to uh me and vanessa's wedding in in southern spain uh, it, was, it was pretty had amazing. Such an amazing time, man. We we did some pretty silly shit on that trip. Yeah, we did. I did the uh, the the really. I discovered I was a terrible man um, because <laughs> I was just doing like really bad things that my dad wouldn't do wrong, but I would because I'm a child. Like uh, I rented a Fiat 500 um, to drive around in, but but didn't I realize. That. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had the Fiat 5. Obviously, I'm in Europe. I I actually know the guy that designed the Fiat 500, so I felt I was like helping his business like he needs it. Um, but <laughs> he's like the head of McLaren. <laughs> like, tech, you tra- text him and be like, dude, I'm hel- helping you out, doing you a solid right now. I got you. I got you. Do you want me to retweet this Fiat 500s? No, no. But um, I drove it onto a beach, like some kind of idiot. Like, I wonder what cars are like on sand, like really, really small cars and had to get like this team of like 10 strong burly spanish men with their shirts off to like push push the car back <laughs> it was like the most demasculine thing um oh my ever. god but that was a fun trip yeah i remember we created pink ball which is uh, created the, pink ball. uh we created the game pink ball uh, which we since played uh, a couple of times around the world um for the benefit of the recording pink ball is a game where you have a pink ball and uh just what just 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 you know yeah you just yeah it's pink, pink ball. ball it's pink, pink ball, ball. And whatever <laughs> happens with the pink balls who it's knows pink ball. it's, it's pink ball shout out to justin and mark Edis and all yeah. of those guys as well <laughs> and, and nolly nolly came too nolly was there yeah. yeah i i remember it was um i also remember that because it was uh my birthday but it was my birthday on the day i had to leave so i got to celebrate it with you guys as as we crossed midnight but then yeah. the whole of my birthday was uh just getting fined by ryanair and, and trying, oh trying to get God. home but that's oh. not to take away from the amazing uh experience we went to a flamenco show as well went to a flamenco show the day after a One real of, flamenco show in spain yeah i mean yeah like the day i believe it was the day after the wedding um all of us or uh, most of us from from the wedding like of our crowd um me mike 
Vanessa, Nolly, my dad, everybody, everybody went. Um, we went out to this flamenco show in the downtown area of, uh, of an old Spanish town called Jerez de la Frontera. Uh, and I had never seen a legit one like that. And it was, it was unreal, man. Like you could tell, you could tell these people lived and breathed that style of music and it's so foreign to me and I don't know shit about it. I remember you chatted up a guitar player because you were so sort of I chatted, enthralled I chatted by him it. up. I chatted him up. Yeah. Slid into his, um, slid into his DMs. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he was amazing. I mean, that's the thing that style. So at the time I'd just come off a tour called international guitar night and actually you came to yep. one of those shows because we played, yeah. played Scarlet. Yeah. With yeah. Kike Sinesi, who is uh, a legendary Argentinian tango guitar player, uh, we did a duet version of Mark's band Periphery's song Scarlet, which is just such an odd thing to happen, but it was really, really beautiful. Yeah, but yeah. This, this, this tour, they, they hire every year for international guitar players, essentially. And um, yeah, I remember these, these, I don't know if he ever did it in the end, but the, the player at that flamenco night was so outstanding. And so, like you say, authentically from that yeah. area and playing that style yeah. um, that it was, I, I had to connect him with the organizers because that's the thing with flamenco. It's like, if you're not from that region of that country yeah. in that village, you know, then it's not real yep. flamenco. Right. Right. Which is, right, which, right. which is wild. And the dancing and the singing and all of that was amazing. But I feel like that's a really nice segue to actual guitar talk right and actual guitar stuff seeing as you know yes. we are guitar pl guitar players before we go into that like i know a lot of acoustic guitar players are periphery fans a lo loads of guitar players are periphery fans because you guys are freaking guitar heroes man but for anyone you know who is coming from that acoustic world and doesn't really know your band could you summarize briefly what periphery is and if possible do it without using that word what word the D word. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, that dirty word. Um, yeah. I, I would just, I, I would say, I would say it's fun, playful, progressive music, you know? Uh, and, and I know it's not, you know, because my idea of progressive is Dream Theater and Rush and what, like all those like wacky old school prog bands. So, so coming at it from an angle of of just being playful, which I like, I like to use that word when people ask about the rhythmic sensibilities of periphery. They're like, oh, "How do you guys write, you know, in crazy time signatures, or how do you guys write all these weird, fucked up accents over four four, and all those kinds of questions?" I, I, I always just say it's it's a playful attitude. So it's metal, right? It's really abrasive, and it's heavy. We have a singer who to me kind of makes the band Spencer. Uh, Dude, he is, he's a unicorn. Yeah. You're in a band with him. You know, mm, yeah. you know, you know, damn well. Um, he's a unicorn. He's got no ego. He sings. I, I mean, he's my favorite metal singer, you know, like he's yeah. my favorite metal singer and I get to be in a band with that motherfucker. Um, but he's one of my favorite humans just in general. Yeah. But, and dude, and that goes hand in hand with it. Like I've heard it from so many people. It's like, how does this dude do what he does and not walk, around blowing himself all day you know uh, i don't know if i can say that on the podcast well he doesn't that's what i'm saying he doesn't do that fuck shit boobies you're fine fuck shit boobie <laughs> is that a new your new punk band side project do you want to be in it yeah excellent yeah. Done. <laughs> this ladies and gentlemen is how bands are started yes um and uh and yeah i mean it's heavy abrasive and chaotic and all over the place but uh 
to me, it all just goes back to being fun and playful. And I think you can hear that on every single record, every single song, uh, whether it's a, you know, a three minute long eight string ass kicker of a song, or whether it's a, uh, you know, an interlude or a 12 minute song, I, I think you can hear us having fun and getting to do what we love. So, so I think it all boils down to that. And that's a really, that's a really uh, reading rainbow kind of uh, positive answer. So that's a really good answer. Playful. It's, it, it, yeah, it's, playful. It, it's the perfect word. And you know what? It ties in with exactly why I decided to spend like a month trying to learn one of your songs on acoustic guitar. Man. And it was because, um, you know, and this was specifically one of your songs, right? Scarlet is a Mark. Mark brings this song to the table in the band, right? Um, there's something about that song and a lot of periphery songs and also just a lot of metal songs that I like that I think so many people in my realm overlook. So, for example, I'm in a situation where I'm at the time touring around the world playing acoustic guitar to acoustic guitar fans, folk music fans, you know, um, people that perhaps their sons and daughters might be into metal, but they think it's a lot of noise, right? right. And I, I don't mean that with any disrespect to anybody, but as a, as a metal fan growing up, you you know that there's so much more to the music than the loud, yelly vocals, right? And what I wanted to do with the Scarlet thing was, was showcase that and basically play the exact same notes and create the exact same emotions or, or, or try to replicate those emotions through an in, in, in an instrumental acoustic context. And people would come up after the shows and say, oh, uh, you know, I really enjoyed your playing. My, my you know, son is plays metal, but I wish he would play this stuff. And I'm there, well, I just kind of snuck in one of the most frantic, playful, as you say, metal songs, and you didn't even know. So maybe take a listen to your son's records and maybe you might enjoy something, you know? And I mean, I don't mean that in an aggressive way, but I felt it was kind of my mission as a secret, slightly closeted Gothenburg metal fan to kind yeah. of sneak that into the uh, vocabulary, into the ears of of the unsuspecting. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget this. That's awesome, by the way. Um, I'll never forget this. And it was, it was the first time I met you. Uh, for everybody out there who doesn't know the story, yeah, it was 2014, right? 2013 or 2014? Well, we met in Montreal just as a casual hang, but we didn't really like chat I think because I knew Nolly at the time and, and yeah. we were both on tour in Montreal at the same time. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a hay and a bit of a GTA session on the bus. And yeah. And, uh, so yeah. I, I was out somewhere. It was in Montreal. I was out somewhere. I come up onto our tour bus and you're there and you're holding an acoustic guitar and you're sitting in the front cabin area of our tour bus. And I think there's, there's a bunch of people around you and I'm like, who's this long haired guy? Um, and you're holding an acoustic guitar and you're playing Scarlet. And I'm like, immediately I'm just transfixed because you're playing the verse and you're playing Spencer's vocal lines with your right hand. And then you go to the chorus and you, you know, the chorus and you start playing his vocal lines for the chorus. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> like I hadn't even talked to you. Uh, and I videotaped it. I still have the video on my phone, actually. Man, uh, you must send that to me because I don't recall this at all. I no. think that that night just like went off the rails. So I don't remember a lot of like what happened, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. I don't remember ever like playing. Like, oh, I'll find the video. I'll find the yeah, video. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you played it for us before I ever spoke to you. Uh, and I was blown away. I think I posted it online immediately. Uh, oh, wow. And I, I got to say, man, like, and I don't think I've ever told you this like this, but that is that has always been one of the greatest honors of my career to hear what you did with that song. Because uh, oh, I go back to that song, your rendition of it, 
every so often, maybe every couple months or so. And just, I just listen to it and like, I'm like, wow, you bring it to life. You make it sing and shine in a way that, uh, that the, the whole band couldn't really do because it's its own thing. It's like, I don't even think of it as a version of Scarlet. I think of it as its own piece. So, uh, I, I, I will always be so honored that you did that really. Like I, it's so special to me. I, oh, I go man. back and I enjoy it more than our old fucking song. Oh, dude. Well, that's really sweet, man. That's 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 so kind. I was, at, you know, what's funny is the episode of this podcast that went out today as we are filming. This will go out um, next week. Uh, was with Andy McKee, and part of that conversation led to just talking about when other people cover our songs, you know, and and how it is. It does feel to us like this crazy honor above really anything else um, out there, other than perhaps messages of, you know, I was in a dark place and your song helped me, you know. Um, because in the in the fingerstyle world, these these arrangements with tab or without tab, they, they get so complex just in nature, the nature of just trying to play multiple parts at the same time, um, that when somebody uh, you know, spends the time to do that, it's it's and they do it well, it's like, wow, dude, like um yeah. you must yeah. have impacted them. And and Andy was telling me that that the reason that he got his first ever international tour was that someone by ear, this was pre-YouTube, so in the MySpace days, someone by ear had l- heard his song, learnt it and played it in a guitar store and the promoter heard this guy play and was like, oh, what's that? Oh, it's this guy. Okay, I'll check him out. Oh, I'll invite him over. It's like some like carrier pigeon, like pre-internet, yeah. like sheet music going to a family to play on an orchestra way of hearing yeah, someone's yeah. music. It's just absolutely insane. Yeah. yeah, but dude, thank you for the compliment, man. That, that's, that's, that's so sweet. This, ladies and gentlemen, is just me and Mark kissing each other's bottoms. Uh, we haven't <laughs> seen each other for a while, you know. But I appreciate that, man. Well, that's a really good, really good description of, of of periphery and the band. And I had so many things I wanted to to ask you about that because there's three guitar players in periphery. Like, how on earth do you guys write the music you do with three creative forces? Like, what what is the process there? How how are you coming up with these these crazy songs and these crazy riffs? I would say it's only possible with three guitarists, like with, with, with us three, like it doesn't work if it's just two of us and you can hear it in the early periphery stuff, which is why I think, you know, in my own personal opinion, and it seems to be the general consensus that the material I think is objectively improved over, over the years. And you can hear it because so many of those songs, Periphery One was all Misha, you know, uh, th- those were all his, you know, demos in band form for Periphery One. Periphery Two, I was brought into the fold uh, and I contributed songs uh, and, and riffs. Jake did too. He contributed more, but even that, like that was mostly Misha on Periphery Two. Periphery Three and Juggernaut and Periphery Four and all the stuff that came afterwards, that was when we started to, to implement this um this process of, of, uh, of collaboration where we all get into a room and we take a, take two weeks out of our, out of our schedule and we live with one another, you know, like for, for every single record we've done since periphery two, we lived in Misha's apartment. Wait, so you're, so you're, you're creating this stuff in that situation. You're not writing this stuff privately before and bringing it there's some of it. There, there, right. There's some of it that's written on our own, which is what we've been doing for the past year since COVID hit. Um, yeah. 
And that's going to really help out when we actually do get into a room together. But the bulk of it is done in the same room. And, and that to me has become our sound when we all get into a room um, and, you know, Spencer and Matt are involved too. Uh, uh, and, and, and we write together. So, you know, people, people ask me, they're like, does it get tricky stepping on each other's toes? Uh, do egos ever get in the way? You know, do, do you have to be sort of on the lookout for, for each other? Like, is there some sort of hindrance that you guys present to each other? And I would say it's 100% the opposite in that it would not be possible. Dude, that is so, so rare that you three have that chemistry that works. That's insane. I mean, dude, I I, I agree. And that's the reason I, I feel like uh, I've kind of won the lottery, you know, in a respect. And, and you know, I, I'm not sure how the other guys feel, but, you know, they, they, they probably... I mean, we all feel lucky to be in this situation with one another because, you know, it's it's an old school approach. Uh, one of the things that um, I think opened up our band to the idea of collaborating more was uh, was Deftones. We 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 took a tour with Deftones in 2013, in early 2013, and they told us some stories about their writing process, and they said they cannot write unless they're all in a room together. And at the time, that blew our minds. I was like, "Doesn't it get sweaty and stuffy?" Because you're coming you know? from the you're coming from the era of Misha creating the entire record by himself, and then you, you <laughs> yeah. recently joining the band. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Or, or 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 sitting by yourself in front of the computer and composing everything yourself, or totally. or 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 just this the sense of isolation um, in the creative process, and then collaborating to actually track the record. Yeah, when we heard that. Uh, I, I think I think there was this collective sort of like cultural um, shift in, in our band, and we started to be more open to the idea of working together. And at this point, it's become something that I don't think we can truly ever reverse because none of us have any interest in doing it, man. Like, and that's why we all have our own projects. Like, you know, for anybody who doesn't know our band, it's like Misha has Bulb, Jake has the Jake Bowen electronic project. I have haunted shores that I record and write with Misha. Uh, and we all get our kicks that way. So we can be totally selfish and not have any filters on that material whatsoever. When it comes to writing periphery, that is defined by the people who make it all five of us. Uh, so, so that's what it's become at this point in time. It's amazing. Well, one of the things that I really respect about you guys is that as individuals, even like Matt and Spencer as well, like, and Nolly when he was in the band. You're all absolute masters of your individual things, but then of so much more. I mean, I don't know many other bands where the vocalist is a world-class producer as yeah. well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Spencer is a absolute powerhouse. And, and I know Periphery has really exploded into the sort of musician nerd realm because there's so much going on on the drums, on the guitars and everything. But I, I do have to kind of consistently give Spencer shout outs because there isn't really a vocal equivalent of that yet. He's bringing that same energy, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's, and it it's, bleeds over into his, it bleeds over into his work ethic too. Like he's taken, you know, this firsthand, he's become amazing at mixing at engineering at, at producing. Uh, and he takes it to a whole new level when it comes to applying those skills to his work in periphery for demoing for for recording vocals for periphery records it's he's become this jack of all trades kind of otherworldly talent um 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't say just how, how lucky I am and you are too for being, <laughs> for having Absolutely. a working relationship I, I, with that dude. I'm, I'm, I miss him. I miss all those guys. Um, that little pocket of people down in Vegas, you know, yeah. um, many times I've, I've gotten off a plane and, 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 and hung out down there. It's, it's, it's a jolly old time. Well, hello there, everyone. Apologies for the interruption to the podcast, but I did want to tell you about the amazing Tonewood Amp, the awesome sponsors of the show. Many of you will know already that I use this thing all the time. The magical little device that sticks with magnets to the back of your acoustic guitar vibrates the back surface of the instrument so that reverb, delay, chorus, Leslie speaker effects, and other lovely project out of the sound hole as if by magic. You can head to MikeDawesHasAPodcast.com now to get more information about the Tonewood amp as well as saving a tasty percentage for yourself. Let's get right back to it. Well, as, yeah. as it's as it's NAM time of year, right, I guess we should segue into the gear stuff a little bit because yeah. you're, not, you're not just an electric guitar guy because I, I, I remember you did touch acoustic in Periphery, right? At least yep. on one song. Anymore? Yeah. What? Pri- Priestess had acoustic. Priestess is um, the one I'm thinking of. Okay. Heavy Heart had acoustic guitars on it. Um, man, is there is there more? Jake Jake had an acoustic track on Periphery too. Um, oh really? I feel like we th- Periphery Four had none. I feel like we throw it around. It's kind of like this spice that we put on top, but it's never yeah. been the basis for a song. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really interesting. You're the yeah. second elect- electronical guitar player I've had on this acoustic guitar podcast. Literally sponsored and well sponsored by in collaboration with Tonewood Amp, which I think I showed you that thing before, the little thing that sticks to the back of the guitar and wizards are in it and they make reverb come out of the guitar. It's wild. But obviously uh, yeah. you can't you yeah, can't awesome. you can't use that on uh you can't use that on uh solid body guitars like electrics, for example. But if you do have an acoustic and you're listening, yep. you should definitely check it out. But um on the wall behind you, you have the uh the good old PRSs. The P- I've got a PRS behind me actually. Damn. That is a pole that's a prs it is yeah yeah so so paul strategically placed there right before this uh literal coincidence so behind me for the benefit of the people on youtube there's a little portable liner apa system uh by bose and i was doing a little test they sent it out and i was doing a little test playthrough that i'm going to make a little video for and i wanted to uh to try out loads of different guitars through it to see how it sounded and that PRS by coincidence is behind, but yeah, Paul came to Bristol to my town and uh, basically introduced this this guitar into my life. I love it. It's an Angelus, um, amazing acoustic oh, guitar. That's awesome. Yeah, but you've got uh, a consistent look with your guitars because they are the indeed the signature Hulkamaniac models. I've lost track of how many models <laughs> yeah. you have now. Or quite honestly, I still need to get one. But um, yeah, what, what's what's going on with those, and what's the latest latest addition to the family? Uh, the latest addition of the family would be a seven string SE model that we put out. Um, let me see if I have it here. Um, it's not in the room and I apologize for that. Um, that's quite all right. Wait a minute. Yeah. It's, hold on. There's one of them here. Check it out. Let's take a look at this thing. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple music or something like that, you can check it out on YouTube or Facebook. Oh, it's yeah. so beautiful. It's such a, I remember when that design came out that, that Hul- Hulk burst. Yeah. Yeah, it, it 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 definitely took the guitar world by storm. Um, I, I'd never seen a PRS like that. I guess the closest thing I'd seen would be um, whoever was playing guitar in Cradle of Filth. Oh yeah, uh, it was Paul like a Allender. dark. Yeah, it was like a dark kind of PRS. Look. Yeah, he had bats on the inlays. I mean, so I mean, this is just way, 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 way back for me. But uh, one of the reasons it took me so long to 
formalize my relationship with PRS and to actually approach them and be proactive about developing a relationship with them is because I never thought of them as like a metal guitar growing up. And then I saw Opeth playing them. And then yeah. I saw, yeah, Opeth, Seven Dust, Cradle of Phil. Um, I mean, like Linkin Park had them too in the early 2000s. They did, yeah, yeah. The guy with the yeah. bendy back and the weird head banging on the ground. Back. Bendy back man. You know what I mean. His, that's his name, actually, Benjamin yeah. D. Back. Ben- <laughs> <laughs> with the headphones Head, headphone mcbendy back <laughs> um oh. who else had them um th- they were a new metal guitar for a while you know like yeah. you, you would see uh well oh, incubus mike einziger had them for a while right um and once i started to see the more like hardcore like you know like true metal guitar players have them opeth was the big one um totally. i was like oh wow like i guess these can be used for metal and um and my sort of first interaction with Paul Reed Smith was, I think, 2013 or something like that. And uh, it was just a conversation at NAMM uh, about sort of what would be the ideal PRS if I could build one. And, uh, and then, you know, that, that eventually came to him building me the first prototype six-string, which, which is a souped-up version of this uh, six-string, sort of the contoured top that you're used to seeing. I mean, you can see it on the wall back there. Yeah. Um, and um, that Maximum became the very comfort. first... Right, right. That became the very first signature model. Uh, and then we've released a couple more over the years, uh, the SE line that were, uh, you know, more affordable. So, and I okay, taking- so that's that's what the SE line is. It's a more affordable version. What's the what's the difference? Well, uh, they take away the they take away a lot of the things that add this exorbitant price to it, like the contoured body, you know, the the that uh, that classic PRS body um, uh, and top. Uh, they take away 10 tops, obviously, since those are what add, you know, the crazy price to it. Um, the materials that they use to build the guitar is a little bit different. Um, the body wood is the same. So it's, uh, so it's mahogany body, maple neck, ebony fretboard. Um, and a lot of the, like the sort of minor appointments are different. Like these don't have locking tuners. Right. Uh, I put these on, uh, myself, um, yeah, just just a lot of little minor appointments, but uh, I only take these out on tour now. Like I don't take any of my private socks out with me anymore. Uh, oh, really? The go- yeah, the goal with these was just to make the guitar that I would have on stage with me, you know, but not have it be the $6,000 instrument. This uh, sounds like, uh, uh, from what I understand, Matt Heafy's relationship with Epiphone, almost. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, okay. I, I, I believe, I might be wrong, I've never met the guy, but uh, those those things look amazing, man, and they sound so good, and, and there's no there's no floating bridge or any any whammy no. stuff going on in your playing, no. and that's yeah. to facilitate the how, how hard you pick your uh, ag- oh, yeah. aggressive right hand. Yeah, I can't, it, I can't do Floyd's. I can't do Floyd's because I'm always sending the string sharp with how hard I pick, you know, so I have to do a nice, sturdy, fixed bridge, string through body, so my right hand can anchor itself and really, really get in there. Right on. Yeah, you you do pick hard. I, I have I have seen this. Back back I think that when I met you in Montreal, I was also able to come to your concert. I was playing a show but had a night off then and and I think you must have recently joined the band then because there was a lot of hype around this this kind of lineup and yeah, it's amazing. You have such a unique style as well. That's that's another reason why I wanted to have you on here as the second electronical guitar player was because what well, I had plenty on before uh, and yourself is that within that rock metal world, you guys have these such distinct voices, really, and you're playing. Um, uh, it sounds like such a very easy, uh, an easy, a lazy question to ask, but I am genuinely curious, 
where that kind of style came from because you're playing these riffs that are lightning fast all over the neck horizontally, which coming from someone in a very amateur rock and metal band at school, all, all, all the riffs I was playing, the kind of, I don't know, the kind of thrash, slightly death metal riffs and things, they were all these kind of relatively stagnant shapes. And in comes Mark Holcomb with this freaking pasta noodle, whatever he's doing. Where did that come from? Am I missing something? Is there just like this entire scene of music that I'm just completely ignorant to? It's a, it's a, it's a, no, it's, it's hallucinogenic drugs. That's what it is. Oh, okay. Okay. It's <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, like I started playing in 1995 and every sort of era of my playing was based around trying to emulate somebody or some style. And without these eras, I wouldn't be who I am. So I'm supremely thankful for being that, you know, being the sort of copycat, so to speak. Uh, and from 95 to 99 or 2000, all I wanted to do was just be James Hetfield. So everything that I did, everything that I wrote sounded like Metallica. Uh, and I would sit in my bedroom or stand in my bedroom and have my guitar around my knees and like pretend that I was singing and play Master of Puppets uh, and ride the lightning and, and kill them all and stuff. And I just wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be Hetfield. Uh, and then I wanted to be Randy Rhodes. And then I wanted to be Dimebag Daryl. And then I wanted to be Devin Townsend. And then I wanted to be Michael Ockerfeld. Then I wanted to be Isan from Emperor. You know, like every version of me up to a point in time, I was just trying to copy somebody's style to make myself better and then just really lock in to whoever I was obsessed with at the time. And I think that's a common thing. Like I, I've yeah. talked to a lot of players and it seems like a lot of players have that background as well. Um, for oh, me, for, uh, for sure, uh, completely. Yeah, right. totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, personally speaking, the turning point came at a really heightened point of frustration when I realized that I sounded like my influences and I, I wasn't doing anything of my own and I got bummed out and I, and I put down the guitar for, for a long time, six months, eight months, something like that. Uh, I, I didn't play. And well, it, you, it didn't, came, you, did, you didn't play because you sounded too much like the people you wanted to sound like. I, I wasn't exciting myself anymore. You right. know, I, n nothing about like I'd record a song and I'd just be like, this sounds like kill switch engage. That was another band where everything I was wearing just, just constant squeals yeah. and uh, capes. Yeah, 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 <laughs> capes. Yeah, <laughs> um, but everything had breakdowns and everything had harmonized guitars and you know, like Killswitch is still one of my favorite all-time bands. But like, nothing I was doing was original in any sense of the word. And I put the guitar down. I didn't pick it up again. And when I did pick it up, a chunk of time later, I only went back to the things that I got excited about. So I stopped trying to be Ingve. I stopped trying to do the, you know, the, the harmonic minor runs over classical music. Just drop, drop kicking guitar picks into the crowd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I, I reignited my love for it, but by going back to these things, like I always loved sliding around the fretboard. I always loved like the look of it, the way it felt, the way it sounded, you didn't hear it in metal. Uh, you really, it, it was, really didn't. You really didn't. I mean, yeah. I, I, I grew up in that kind of, you know, Boston metalcore era anyway. So my, my favorite bands were things like, yeah, Kills with Shadows Fall, you know, yeah. all, that kind, all that kind of scene. 
God forbid. It, yeah. God forbid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hope they, I hope they come back. I remember seeing, uh, this, this crazy gig that not, not to cut in too much, uh, this gig at the pyramids in Portsmouth, the aforementioned Portsmouth. And it was God forbid shadows for chimera kill switch. Ooh, that's an all-star lineup right there. That's a pretty good that's lineup. A, yeah. 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 Sorry. But, yeah, uh, to, to, totally cut you off, dude. Oh, it's okay. It's, <laughs> um, um, I always loved the the sort of right hand aggression of thrash metal. Uh, like, doesn't matter who I was trying to emulate. I always came back to that. So that was my focus. I stopped trying to do sweet picking at 260 BPM because that wasn't me. I wanted to be Ingve, but that just wasn't me. That wasn't. I don't know. It was just sort of come to Jesus moment where where you where you realize <laughs> the things that you love about what you do, and I focused on that because at the time. I was in my early 20s and I was starting a professional career in IT. I was a busy human being. You know, I was working. I, I have no idea about your, your previous pre periphery uh, vocations. I didn't yeah, know yeah. you were an IT guy. No, I was writing erotic novels and working yeah. in IT. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I worked, I worked in a cubicle, man. Like I, I, I was busy and, and I liked my job. You know, I liked the routine of it, but fact of the matter is, is like, I didn't have time to play guitar six hours a day. So if I was going to pick up the guitar and play for an hour a day or 30 minutes a day, it was going to be centered around things that I found fun about the instrument, you know, th things that I could, I could just forget about the rest of life and sink my time into and my attention into. So I think that's where that style comes from. I think, you know, I, I think it's just bred out of me gravitating towards the things that I, I really play the guitar for, you know? Mm. Yeah. So. I, I relate to a lot of that. Um, my, my sort of obsession with individual guitar players started with slash. That was the first mm. thing. I didn't I know that. I, yeah. I wanted to be slash. My first guitar was an Epiphone Les Paul tobacco sunburst. Nice. Um, you know, and then it would drift and it would, it went to Iron Maiden for a long time. Oh yeah. So, uh, Adrian, isn't that like a Adrian British Smith. thing? If you have a British passport, like you kind of have to be obsessed with Iron Maiden at a certain yeah, point yeah, in your yeah. life. Yeah. 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 That was at a time where British passports were worth something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Adrian Smith was, was, was like my hero. I've still never yeah. met the guy, although I think I had a few opportunities to it now, but chickened out or something. But, um, but yeah, I totally relate to that. But then I, I kind of transitioned to acoustic guitar and, and then things kind of melded into this weird kind of concoction, right? Um, but yeah, I meant what I said, man. It is a really fascinating style. And for anyone listening that doesn't know Mark's like playing super intimately, really check it out. And check, you just check out a video and you'll see what I'm talking about. You know, you're all over the oh. place. And that's another thing about you guys in the band. You have these relatively unique styles. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's the best guitar player in Periphery? <laughs> Nolly. <laughs> from 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 a from a total package perspective, someone who can play leads, record himself, tight as fuck, rhythm hand. Uh probably Nolly, man. Like he's just he's stupid good. He um, is a he is he is kind of well, I knew Nolly before you knew Nolly, actually. Yeah. Because yeah. he was, I was living with a guy called George Lever when I was at university, who recently has 
been quite prominent in the metal world because he's the producer of a band Sleep Token and Loathe and Holding Absence and bands like that. Yeah. Um, and Nolly and he were friends, so Nolly would come round occasionally. And this would have been when I was like 19 or 20 years old or something like that, back in like 2009. And, you know, and, and I remember one day I saw Nolly playing, I think it was a Black Machine, um, something like that, just sat on George's bed. And I was like, holy shit. Shit. He was playing some like Racer X thing or, or Paul Gilbert. I don't know, whatever. But just the vibrato. That man's vibrato. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's 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 butter. It's buttery smooth. But he's not in periphery as such no. right now, and not like he, an active performing member. Is he still, those, is he still involved in the writing? Process? Not in the writing. Not in the writing. Um, he he still mixes our records. He's still a very present voice in the uh in the recording process of the record and yeah like i said he mixes mix, mixes the albums and plays bass on them um and he's still very p- much a part of the family he's just not part of the band um right. so so yeah i say that jokingly but yeah like you're saying like just as a as a total player as as like from top to bottom vibrato picking like he's got it all um yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I would say we all have our strengths and weaknesses as players. That's very um, diplomatic. It's a very diplomatic answer. I'm not trying to make the Metal Sucks front page with uh, with any comments <laughs> right now. <laughs> Is Metal Sucks like the the, the tabloid metal industry publication? I, yeah, I, I think I, so. You say something stupid and then you make the front page. You know, you storm the Capitol and then you're on the front page of, yeah, uh, of Metal Sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Iced Earth, <laughs> Iced Earth reference. Iced Earth uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's a crazy time. It's so interesting recording these episodes in these moments in time. We are two days away from when the bombs drop, ladies and gentlemen, as we record right now. Is that um, is that what forty eight hours until the inauguration? I think so. Yeah, forty hours. So yeah. so when this airs on Monday, we will be in a dust cloud, or we won't. There, there will be something interesting happening, or there won't be. We hope it. There will be nothing important although in a really morbid way um and this is this is a british humor thing not to be taken seriously but the amount of sort of uh kind of um social and political upheaval in this country recently it it has been a an interesting time to uh, say that there's something else to watch on tv for the past sort of (laughs) few weeks (laughs) outside of the british kind of stuff going on um i i had a uh, yeah, I had, I had my first Brexit thing today. I, uh, I had a first, my first secret hidden Brexit, uh, tax, um, uh, on, it? on some gear, just things like, uh, import duty and on stuff that I, I wouldn't have had to pay before. Um, oh, I came man. in today on a piece of gear, not the end of the world by any means, but I remember today was the first time that I've observed a change over here, you know, for better or for worse, we shall find out and hopefully for, for the better as, as we move forward. But, yeah. um, I try not to go too too deep into that stuff, but we can catch up on, in private. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm glad that we can be the rest of the world's entertainment. We are our own entertainment at this point, you know. It's like well, it is, on the, the TV is like. Well, that's it. There's nothing new on TV because all the production yeah. studios are shut down. So we thank you, America, for uh, giving us something <laughs> to do with our time as we sit here in lockdown number three over here in the UK. So, as an American, I say you're welcome. Thank you, Mark Holcomb. Thank you. So, Mark Holcomb, yeah, Frifri got Grammy nominated. Do you own a tuxedo? No, I don't. I don't. Is that why you didn't win? <laughs> <laughs> I, can only, I, I can only guess, yeah. Um, 
No, you know, we we knew we weren't going to win because uh, what, I think Megadeth won it or something. I think Megadeth won that year. Megadeth, Corn, Megadeth or Corn, one of those. But yeah, when we saw, we kind of thought someone was fucking with us at first. Uh, we, we thought we were getting trolled. Like I don't know, Ashton Kutcher really? got in our emails or something. Yeah, um, but we we didn't we didn't really take it seriously. We're like, oh my god, this is real. Uh, and you know, for us, we never really cared that much about it. Uh, because it never seemed like a reality. Like it just seems so far out of your comprehension, like well, how that not, even happens. Yeah. Cause I spoke to Spencer about it. It's not something that you guys were shooting for or pitching for, right? Oh, it just kind of, no, not at all. <laughs> you're not out there greasing hands and, you know, uh, shaking people's hands and, and asking them for their consideration constantly on billboards on sunset, no. sunset Boulevard. No, no. Okay. If that's how we, if, if, if that's how we knew we had to do it, then we probably would be out there doing that stuff, kissing babies and, and hosting <laughs> potlucks and, and, and chili cook-offs and stuff like that. But S- sniffing children, you know, sniffing, <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, but no, when it, when it happened, I mean, like, we we're just like, Oh God, do we go? Like we got to go. Right. And then we realized that we had a tour booked at the same exact time of Asia oh. and Australia. So it's like, you know, dick over thousands of fans who have paid money so we can go parade around in tuxedos, rubbing shoulders with Rihanna or, go do our jobs. And yeah. for us, it was very simple. It's just like, this is why, this is why we have lives. Let's go do our jobs. But, uh, not in retrospect, it's a weird, like, you know, our family, I think our families are, and our loved ones and our friends care more about it. Cause they're just like, like my, the Filipino side of my family is like, Mark is Grammy nominated. Did you know that grandma? He's, he's a successful musician. Uh, and then for us, it's, it's, it's just like that happened. That's weird. That song used to be called shit splitter before it got nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh god oh god <laughs> it's true by the way that, that's 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 a clip <laughs> that's, that's so 100% a clip. <laughs> please let it be <laughs> oh i'm crying a little bit yeah let it be a clip in the words of the monkeys let it be this <laughs> uh it's it's the coffee or it's just your fucking jesus christ shit <laughs> shit splitter nominated for a grammy well i've got to give a shout out on the subject a shout out to my my touring buddy jim because um uh he i just the last tour i did before the pandemic was another international guitar night tour and one of the players on the tour this player called jim uh kimo west is like a hawaiian uh player but he plays guitar for weird al but uh his his guitar album just got nominated for a grammy so and, and there's not a single track on there called shit splitter (laughs) <laughs> which I thought <laughs> immediate minus one point right there. Well, we'll see if he wins or not, but you know, not to, uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure there's an expression for that. <laughs> but, that was the yeah. running joke when we got nominated for that Grammy. Like we, we were just like, first of all, why that song? Because the song that got nominated is it's like a two minute, 45 second, just like punch to the dick you know it's it, blast beats and and, and it starts chaos. with blast beats right and it's yeah. there's no real there's a chorus but it's all screaming um it's kind of a dissonant really ugly song and that album had loon on it had the way the news goes on it had marigold which is our most popular song and it it had all these songs that to me would have been more prime or, or like more like okay i get it i could see how people would like that one but then the song the price is wrong formerly shit splitter, shit splitter shit splitter um that one gets the attention of everybody well, and yeah kind of wish we kept the song title you know well 
then maybe you wouldn't have got the Grammy nomination, or maybe that would have been an even better story for you know Filipino grandma. That you know? that's what I want for Filipino <laughs> for my Filipino grandma. I want her to know that we got nominated for a song called Shit Splitter, and that would have been the story. It's like I can't believe that this song with a ridiculous song title that we came up with on tour, you know, well, got the th- award. I think that there's some context there because I remember when. I remember when uh, some friends with all you guys on social media and stuff, when you got nominated, I remember where I was at the time because I was with T-Rope and we were like, oh, this is this is cool. But I think it was we were on tour and I think it was a time where Schnitt Splitter was released. But I don't know if the album was out because I think it was like the first single from the record and maybe there was some disconnect between... Well, you yeah. you know better than I, but but I think uh, it was in the consciousness of the uh, of the community, and I think that's a testament to where the band is and where the band was at that stage of, as well. Of course, like you know, to, to 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 get the nod means that you were clearly on the radar, and everyone was anticipating the release. You know, yeah, um, yeah. No, I'll joke it. I'll joke it aside, man. It's like yeah, crazy, 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 crazy honor that we we like we make fun of it because we make fun of ourselves constantly, and it, it's legitimately funny, but. It's pretty fucking awesome. Like just to know that that happened to this, you know, to this band, which we all considered to be, you know, the most involved, busy passion project of our lives. You know, that's what Periphery is. It's a big, fun passion project. And to get that kind of recognition is pretty fucking weird and cool. Well, that's, that's the way you work, right? You, you guys are creating ex- like the other artists that I speak to on this podcast. Like I, I've been really fortunate that I've been, on this able just to reach out to whoever from whatever genre and just have a chat because but the thing I'm noticing the people I'm reaching out to are sharing is that they're pretty much no compromise whatever they want to do they do and it's either in fashion or it's not you know and it comes in cycles but they stick to their guns constantly you know yeah um and I you know I was talking to Andy about this and how Nowadays, when you put stuff out, you know, it's, it's the TikTok world now where everything has to grab you in a second and blah, 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 blah. And there's all these like games to play. And the people that seem to have the longest careers, the ones who just stick to, to, to what they do and what they love and a big part of what you guys are doing. And actually, I'll, I'll say what I'm doing as well to an extent is just trying to have fun and, 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 and you, you either like it or you don't. And I mean, the, yeah. the project I have with Spencer is named after a guy Wilson and I met at the rain. You know, the story uh, it's, it's not, it's not for here, but you know what I mean? <laughs> everything's, everything's just gotta be fun. And it's, you gotta have a good time with it. You know, um, it's, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to guess otherwise. It's impossible to make it a science. And we've had conversations from people in our business circle over the years who are no longer with us. They're not dead. They're just not working with us. Um, but we've had these opinions thrown at us from people who we trusted at the time. You know, is there any way to change this to that, to cater to this crowd so we can synthesize this success for you? So you, so you can reach this level and it's, it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You know, it's not product development. You know, you're not building a phone uh, well, what you're talking about is things like what radio pitching and creating a single yeah. to get airplay and things like that, right? Right. Or, or, or like in a broader sense, trying to guess what people will like. Right. And I've spent some time thinking about this, and I talked with somebody about it recently too. Is uh, Bring Me the Horizon? Uh, oh yeah. And, and like one common thing that I read about Bring Me the Horizon is just like, oh, they, they, they're just playing music 
to get rich now. Like they're done doing it for, for art. Like they just want to do it for money so they can buy bigger houses and feed their kids and whatever. Um, first of all, it's none of anybody's business. Uh, second of all, I hear something completely different. Um, I hear a band that doesn't give a fuck, you know, who doesn't care what you think, who is going to have the evanescent singer on a song and make it awesome. A band who's going to hire baby metal to be on a song. Like I hear a band that just does not give a fuck. And, uh, and that's the, that's the thing. It boils down to this complete inability to guess what people will like. So you might as well stop trying, you know, as long as it, as long as it makes you happy, it makes you smile and something that you're genuinely into. I do believe I'm a big proponent of this, that people hear that. Cause I can hear that when, when I hear a band that truly doesn't care, like, okay, there's this band car bomb, you know, car bomb. Yeah. 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 Band, I, 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 I missed, I think, did they open for you? Yeah. Yeah. They also, were on tour I, bars. I, yeah. I think I missed that tour, but I, uh, yeah, I, I, is it Greg? Guitar player? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome yeah. guitar player. Now, now, these guys just to make sure that I do know the band. Um, these are the, these are guys who don't play with a click, and they're all over the place, but they're together, and it's bizarre how they are so in sync with each other. Correct? Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. That's the band. That's the band. Uh, and there's just one example. That band just sort of popped to my mind when I was thinking about this. But uh, you hear them for the first time, and you can. It's like palpable. They just don't care. They they, they don't they don't care if they're going to be on the radio. They don't care if you like their music or not. They're just doing the one thing that they know how to do, and they know they excel at it. And and that I feel like will never um, go out of fashion. You know, like there will always be listeners that can pick up on that and gravitate towards it and latch latch onto it. Uh, and that to me is the secret to a long lasting career. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah. There's only one. There's only one Gojira. There's only one. Yeah. The, the 1975, right? Yeah. 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 Um, there's a band that doesn't doesn't care. I mean, the, the amount yes. of varied stuff in their discography. I mean, man. In, um, I was noodling around on one of their songs on that PRS last night. A song called "Be My Mistake." Um, I, I just love started, that song. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a great yeah. tune, and I, I was noodling around, and and maybe it'll turn into a, an arrangement. I don't know, but um, mm. but yeah, that, that's something I really admire about them as well. Is is they've reached this massive arena almost stadium perhaps height one of the biggest bands on the planet and i mean their last records multiple records have just been whatever and it's brilliant yeah Yeah, their last record which i know a lot of people didn't like um you know people came out and said oh there's like a that there's so many radio songs or there's just weird electronic songs with no point you know there's electronic songs that don't go anywhere on the record uh and it's almost like there's a lot of interludes, right? Right. Which I, I see as a band that's legitimately just doing whatever they want to do. Right? Well, also, like, you, you and I are Sigur Ross fans, and yeah. there's a big influence there in how things are broken up. And right, yeah, right, right, right. Um, but I love that record. I, I love the last 1975. I thought it was really good. Uh, and there's there's like two songs in that record back to back towards the towards the latter part of the album that are. They just sound like '90s R and they sound like boys to men songs. Yep, I know, you know the what ones songs I'm talking about. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 wild. They've managed to cram a lot of a lot of genres into their discography. They got the whole '90s Britpop thing. I don't know how much you in the states know about the Britpop era. Oasis, Blur. That, that Oasis, kind of stuff. I know Oasis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a sound of the '90s. This kind of it's called Britpop, but they they have a song called. Uh, uh, I always want to die. Sometimes that song is um, yeah, yeah, brilliant. So that that vibe, the kind of Radiohead kind of old thing. Radiohead. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's that kind of era, I suppose. Yeah, but th- this dude, this ties in again. I think I think it was Andy McKee 
last week we were saying, you know, that there comes a point in your artistic output and your artistic development where you realize, oh, no one's done that before. It is, oh, I can do that. It's okay. I'm allowed to do this, even though I have no frame of reference as to whether it's uh, permitted in the scene or not. Yeah. You know, there's a yeah. conscious point in your development when you realize, eh, whatever, let's just do it. You know, like like this Carbon Band as an example, or you know, here's here's one, Iron Maiden. You know, like Iron Maiden record so old school all together in a room, bunch of mics. You know, live. That's such a rare thing nowadays for newer bands you know yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it almost takes another force to say oh no you are still allowed to do that if you want you can record however you want wherever you want if it's what you want to do right, and right. there's certain you know bits of advice people can give if they're after a specific goal of course but I, I don't ever want anyone so a lot of, some people will be listening to this because it's maybe they're interested in getting into the the business or whatever you know that's that's quite a common thing for listening to podcasts with musicians and it's interesting to me how there's this constant theme with people I talk to of just innovation with zero regard for risk you know it's really inspiring it's it's the old um it's it's the Metallica thing, right? Like they 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 didn't think they could write a song like Nothing Else Matters or or fuck man even Fade to Black. A song like that with acoustic guitars back in that day must have been unfathomable to bands in their circle. Well, like imagine Anthrax having a song that was all acoustic back in the day, or or I mean, I guess Megadeth did it at a later point, but uh, but throwing curveballs to your audience, if you trust in yourself and trust your audience, which I think is a little trickier, uh, <laughs> it's it, it's almost necessary to to capture that approach that. Uh, we're both referencing right now. And there's a song on Periphery 3 called uh, Catch Fire. Yeah, I think it was track eight on that record, track seven or eight. Uh, but That's Catch the, the, the Faith, Faith No More vibes, right? Right, yeah. right. And, and that was a song we got some heat for. Uh, oh, really? There's some people who just don't like that song. I, I get it. Like, you know, the the, the lyrics are kind of... It's not metal. I know what metal fans are like. No, you know. it's not metal. I mean, there's like, there's distorted guitar tones, I think played on a, you know, in the second position, um, you know, like a coil split kind of tone and uh, and Spencer's vocals are kind of like, just kind of dripping with sensuality. You know, there's like a funky bass line. Erotic. And it's erotic. Erotic. Let's, let's, let's say erotic. Let's uh, just, let's just call it what it is, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and... There was a question. I, I don't know if I was the one who asked it or somebody else. It was just like, this is a weird periphery song. But that, that was kind of where it stopped. It wasn't like, oh, let's not put the song on the record. It's just like, at, at some at some point, there's just this, who cares? It, we, we are proud of it. Let's put it on the record and we'll see how it does. And some people love that song and some people fucking hate it. So, wow. so yeah. And there's another song called Crush on our last record that was like that. And our manager hates that song. Uh, and that's someone who we trust dearly, but at the end of the day, he knows that we have this approach, so yeah. he doesn't even try and fight it. Just don't turn your uh, snare drum off. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of Metallica being innovators, and <laughs> have have you uh, have you heard? Wasn't there some guy on YouTube who replaced the sna- Saint Anger snare drum? Like he put it on other Metallica songs. Have you heard? Oh, that? really? No, that sounds that's, amazing, though. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm trying to think what the craziest Metallica with with no snare drum would 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 be, like blackened. 
with the St. Anger snare drum. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah, God. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or Dyer's Eve, or the last song on, on on Justice. Yeah, that would be amazing, man. It's 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 so nice to. Uh, now, this is episode seven, I believe, of this podcast, and I'm starting to get to this theme where I'm hearing all this really positive kind of stuff from musicians of so many different scenes. Which I hope, if you're listening, you understand what I'm talking about here. The value of authenticity, especially in an age where everyone's trying to kind of. Uh, dance to the same dance routines on TikTok or whatever and try and be part of that community. Authenticity goes a long way and will yield you a long and fruitful career. Yeah. And one, sorry to, to tack on one more thing. And this is for listeners out there who may be finding themselves walking down that path that you're referencing right now. I see a lot of Instagram guitar players, a lot of sort of TikTok guitar players, people who are providing content simply for likes and simply for attention in the short term. And that's kind of how they build a career. And I guess there's nothing wrong with that. But well, it's Mark, a slippery. Mark, the, the 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 pretty people have to do something. You know, it's like you can't, it can't just be ugly guys making music. <laughs> Sometimes we need some attractive people doing it for 15 seconds at a time on TikTok. <laughs> um, but but uh, there there has to be something behind that if you're after longevity in this and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, if you follow Mike on social media, if you follow me on social media or whoever, it's like, you'll see that we do put videos of ourselves playing guitar online and it's fun. Like I genuinely love doing, it. I love sharing the creative process, sharing what I'm up to, but that can't be the sole driving reason behind this. And if it, if it is at any point in time, you're going to find yourself burning out really quickly uh, because the, the real work, the real purpose of all this is stuff that nobody else should see. You know, nobody you go, else needs to make it their business. That's it. it. It's it's so strange. Like I'm trying to imagine how different our lives and and progressions will have been if we were growing up without experiencing teenage life offline. Yeah, you know, like that yeah. must be just so odd. Obviously, we don't know how odd until the current younger generation move forward. But it it, it the thing that I'm seeing uh, is that that's really obvious is is attention span for sure. Oh yeah, because you, you, the, the, you're sat you know you're in a uh, an environment that's saturated by as many young people as there are on the planet. It's ridiculous. Yeah, um, I'm seeing video. I'm I'm seeing people become. Uh, well, I suppose that's the thing. If people are building whole careers off this and that's what they want, then then what's the problem? But I mean, what I'm seeing people's careers get built off clips there's no such thing as a song and the thing is with a song is you need you need a song to have that deeper connection with a listener no one ever says oh i was in a really dark place but your play your clip your 15 second clip really pulled me out of that you know that, that's that's uh, who was i talking to the other day i think my friend yuka um who you've met you must have met yeah 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 yeah, yeah 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 um we were having a catch-up and um and he was really trying to reinstill that value into me because you know i'm off the road. I've got no way to play these tunes. I did a live stream concert. It was fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the same. It's a different thing. You don't have that connection with people at all. Um, and all you can really do is just put these little clips out, you know? Um, yeah. it's one of the only things that we can do right now. And he was reminding me that the, the deeper connection and the deeper purpose comes from, uh, something with, with that, that extra meaning um that sounds a bit of a hippie trippy thing but it's it's really yeah. it's really yeah. true but uh but it remains to see how it remains to be seen how long that will be 
true for. I mean, maybe we will literally enter a world where a concert is... What is a concert? Someone just playing little 15-second riffs? I mean, like the big picture, yeah. you know. It's, I, it's things to think about, isn't it? And, and I hate to be an alarmist about this, but like, I mean, you see it with bands making shorter and shorter records uh, because of the I, whole... I, 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 I didn't realize. I didn't realize that was a... Is that a thing? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, even in periphery ourselves, it's like, you know, we, we went from making, you know, an 80 minute double record with juggernaut to, to wanting to slim things down. I think the reason for that is not, you know, necessarily tied to knowing that people have short attention spans. I think that's just kind of where we wanted to go with it. But, uh, but yeah, you see, like I, I've, I've seen a lot of bands that I like putting out shorter songs and putting out one song, two songs at a time, the single based approach. And but that's, uh, that's, that's to do with having to please the tech companies. Surely that that's, that's to do with having to keep the algorithm happy and have more content put out as in regular uploads. This, this, this overwhelming demand for regular content is causing a lot of people doing EPs instead of albums. So they can do two or three EPs in a year instead of one album drop that then disappears into the internet's garbage, you know, uh, site. And that has to filter in people's, attention spans too. that like that has to come into play when people when people start thinking about bands they like you know like i i feel like right now it's easier to forget about a great song uh when there's another band that could put out a song you know next month and then there's there's a, another band who, who who's put out a single last week and i don't know i i feel like with this approach it's like these kinds of things are, are are more likely to take your attention away. It could be just my perception as as an old dinosaur in this, but uh, well, that's, but that's no. that that's that's not that you are an old dinosaur, but that is definitely part of it. Is like both of us are like you know I'm 31. I'm not the oldest guy in the music business, but I'm old enough now to see how things are different in the current climate than they were. Right, for right. Sure. Yeah. yeah, 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 dude. Well, we'll deep, deep, deep vibes. No, we we should we should we should have a proper catch up off offline and uh, start hurling gossip about that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I, I could go on a, a, a long time about this kind of thing, but I try not to sound like an old jaded, like you know, because the rules are changing, and I want to adapt to the rules, right? Right. You got to uh, be on. You got to be on the train. The train's left. Right. You got to be on. Yeah, of course. Right. 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 But uh, you've disarmed me in a way to where I want to be an old crab. <laughs> 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 exactly well dude so um there was so many other things that i wanted to chat about but maybe it's best we just do it informally because this is this has been a, a wonderful uh wonderful opportunity to catch up and also stick it out on the internet for anyone interested i have a little list of questions i was gonna ask you but we've kind of touched on so much more fun stuff i did want to give a shout out to your seymour duncan stuff your pedal oh yeah um, yeah which is uh, i still haven't tried one out ever i've never had the opportunity because i uh uh i missed this nam that's usually the opportunity to do that kind of thing the last yeah, nam yeah, yeah. that there was i gotta just get you one of those pedals man you would have a blast I, i'd actually love to hear an acoustic hooked up to it uh i'll see if i can sort you out with one the dark sun i'll get you a dark sun dark sun seymour duncan frack yeah, yeah there we go it pays to have a podcast ladies and gentlemen <laughs> there you go you've got a free pedal out of it <laughs> i did also want to ask one final question yeah. um cyberpunk did you get it to actually work it booted yeah it, it loaded up i have a base ps4 and uh, i got through the first story bit and like you texted me, some of the people text me, they're like, is it actually working? And I, I replied, I was like, dude, yeah, all this shit is like overplayed. Like it's just video gamers being melodramatic. Don't pay attention to that stuff. And then I got into the first 
part of the game or the open world becomes available to you and you can start driving around and then like faces aren't loading environments aren't loading you drive into a parking lot and like 10 cars would just land five seconds later and so would a bunch of people start populating second by second and uh i was so bummed out and, and I just stopped playing. Like there were a couple other games I wanted to play. So I was just like, you know what? I'm not touching this. Like I've been anticipating cyberpunk for so long that I'm not going to give this half-assed playthrough right now. I'm going to just wait until it's good to go until I get a PS five or something. But yeah, did you, did you play it? No, because, because of what you said, you know, I, I mean, I've been playing one game and one game alone for the past, like three, four months. Other Other than the, no, other than the arcade machine that I got is uh, <laughs> Star Wars Battlefront 2 on the PS4, which is so fun. Every every other day, I have a one hour or so session with a friend of mine from, from uni with the headsets, Obi-Wan and Anakin just doing the thing. And it, it's the morning therapy before the day begins. Oh, you do it in the morning. That's awesome. You got a yeah, cup of well, coffee okay. there. Yeah, I, I say the morning our morning but in terms of other people in the uk the mid-afternoon <laughs> oh okay because you're a night owl yeah exactly the, exactly the, you gotta I've get on it, it. you gotta get on it dude it's it's great it's it, it was just released for free uh, on the p on pc uh for a period of time and it crashed the the servers because so many people want to play it when they when they launched the game it was full of uh this like you know ea loot crate gambling controversy whatever but it's 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 i think it's the best star wars game there is really yeah. as a, as a, as a as a bit of a Star Wars fan myself. So if you find yourself bored on the PS4, you want to pick okay. it up. It's it's a, r- a lot of fun to play online with a with a with a squad. Um, okay. And speaking of speaking of the Dark Sun and, and and sharing the love, I must uh, if you don't have one, get you a Tonewood amp as well for that for that acoustic. What acoustic is it? Is it is it yours or did you use it in the studio? No, it's early? it's a PRS uh, Angelus, uh, same as you got. Yeah. Oh, wicked, sweet. Yeah, yeah. got the brace in there. Got to get you yeah. sorted out, man. Dude, it's I been, would uh, love that. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you have you have seen it, right? You you you. You've showed I, it to I, I me in person. That's the thing, yeah, because I don't know if I had the opportunity to actually show it because I normally have it on me on tour, but I don't know if I had the opportunity to show you in person. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild, man. And you know, husband and wife business always interested in supporting those guys uh, whenever yeah, yeah, possible. Yeah. And I'm slowly infiltrating the the metal community with the Tone apps as well. I know Tosin and Javier uh, had a visit from them as well. So uh, well, slowly- it starts it starts here with me, and then in a year, Carrie King will be playing uh, Tonewood amps. You never know. That is I'm a calling clip. it. That I'm is calling it right now. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie King, dude. Carrie King from Slayer. Acoustic guitar, reverb, and uh, just this and the whammy <laughs> and 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 this, dude. It's been a pleasure. Let's let's stay online because I want to like uh, chat to you for a second uh, okay. off 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 the air. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Holcomb from Periphery and Haunted Shores, a beacon of niceness, wisdom, and puns. Uh, check them out when the and when the pandemic's over. Check out a show and uh, yeah, he will melt your face with his loveliness. Take care, dude. See you. Thanks for watching, guys. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out this week's episode of the podcast. For more information about this week's guest, head to the link in the description, where you will also find more information about the Tonewood amp, as well as that cheeky little discount you can get as well. Lots of love. See you next time.